forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and incredibly skeptical of doggy DNA tests. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I run my goddamn mouth. Wait, what do you mean? What Did you do a, D- a doggy DNA test? I did it for both Sugar and Phantom, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Are you the father? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Here's what really throws me, is that Sugar is a mix of poodle, which we knew, cocker spaniel, mm. which we suspected, mm. And then also a huge percentage minpin. Oh, interesting. Beans had that too. That's what I'm saying. All small dogs have the same like seven breeds in them. And she looks nothing like a minpin. I'm just skeptical. Beans was also chihuahua and then um, minpin, which makes for beans total sense with his little barrel chest. Yeah. But sugar, I don't see it. And then phantom turns out poodle and Chihuahua, huge percentage of Chihuahua. Now that's interesting. Which I was shocked by, but the more I sit with and really let myself process makes sense. He is a high energy, big personality doggo. Well, now, how did I get the world's laziest? (laughs) How did I get the world's laziest and non-moving Chihuahua of all time? I mean, complete angel, love of my life. Like, I truly, like, dote on him like it's my job, but he doesn't move. Yeah, I don't know. What was He's his... a chihuahua who does not move. Hey, I'm not sure. How old is he now, you think? He's like eight. But he was chihuahua, mini pincher, and then there was one that was kind of out of left field, maybe Cocker Spaniel, that was a little bit out of left field. This is what I'm saying. It's all a lie. <laughs> they could tell us anything and we believe it. And then they're like, oh, and also 8% super mutt. Excuse me. I'm super mutt. I'm paying you to tell me what mutt, what kind of mutt. <laughs> but I do, you know what I do enjoy about the one I have is it shows like cousins. Oh, yeah, beans, we have that too. Or it'll show... So I like I'm sort of interested in being like this dog is Beans's cousin. And then you can kind of see like that he a little bit looks like Beans. And we know Beans's brother. Yeah. From Wags and Walks. Yeah. Ray, who looks exactly like Beans. Sugar has more wolf DNA than an average dog, which I think makes perfect sense. <laughs> if Sugar wanted wow. to, Sugar could take over the world. She just doesn't want to. You know? Yeah, she could live by she could live by herself. She'd be totally fine. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. And here's the thing is that, like, I would say 50 percent of our episodes include some sort of update on our dogs. And that is just something you guys are going to have to deal with. (laughs) That's all I care about. The people love our dogs. I've been watching Selling Sunset and Selling Sunset does an excellent job of just having B-roll of random people's dogs throughout the show. And I'm like, this is what we need in TV. We just need cutaways to dogs throughout whatever content it is we're watching. I directed a music video for Mal and we were out in the the desert doing it. And this guy rolled up and he had like this little chihuahua. It was so cute. And we took footage of the chihuahua. And then I was like, oh, we should use it in the music video. And I was vetoed. Well, that's a creative mistake on their end. You know, what's funny is I was the director and but Mal is the client. 
It's true. And so it is interesting collaborating. No, we did a good job, but it is funny to have them be like me being like, what about this? And they're like, hard pass. (laughs) I brought them a storyboard. The first when we were starting, I was like, here's the storyboard that I'm thinking of. And they went, no. (laughs) (laughs) Dual relationships. Gotta love them. I know. So do you want to set us up for this episode that we have today? Okay. Yeah. So we did an interview with Becky Albertalli, my one of my former nemeses, um, who we are now, the beef is squashed. We are friends now. Everything is completely worked out, which I know might be shocking to LGBTQ media who ran with the story of our fight and also the masses of people who got involved in it on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, actually. So we did the interview and then Because I'm in the thick of it and Becky was in the thick of it, we understood a lot of what we were talking about. But Allison had no context, I think, for it. So I had context for it, but I was trying to kind of keep in mind somebody who had zero context for it. So I think just providing some. Yeah. So I was going to say I was going to give you the floor and say, like, what what do you think needs to be clarified based on the interview we just did so that people will understand the interview? Yeah. So basically, I think, you know. Becky had a really popular book come out that was adapted into the movie Love, Simon, which was about Mm -hmm. um, a queer kid. And at the time Mm -hmm. that the book came out, Becky identified as straight. And so Mm -hmm. I believe in 2020, you were mentioning that the taking issue with the fact that that straight authors were tending to get better sales and more sales in publishing than queer authors not realizing that the previous months Becky had actually come out as queer and as bisexual. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of naming her in your thread about being annoyed that straight authors, even though Becky actually isn't straight, kind of erupted into this thing that kind of spiraled away from both of you, with both of you getting a lot of negative attention for it. And Becky also suffered a lot of harmful reaction to her coming out essay on Medium when she came out in, I believe, August 2020. Yeah, just sort of setting the stage that that's sort of what happened. And then Becky reached out to you a year later, a year later, in September 2021, to sort of bury the hatchet between the two of you. And so that's sort of the context for it. I think we got to that. I just wanted to like, from the beginning, people to understand what we were talking about mm-hmm. and, you know, never hurts. It, I, I'm Whenever we're recording an episode, I'm thinking to myself, will my mom understand what we're talking about? <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. if she's not plugged into Twitter and plugged into all these people and plug, like I always go, what, what, what would my mom think coming in cold? And so I just like to give a little right, a little right, explanation right. to stuff. <laughs> and I will say that I had read a bunch of YA recently at the time, not just Becky, but other YA written by people that I felt politically misaligned with. And so I was like going, I was just like having problems with <laughs> with like, I was just having issues. I think I was having my own gender issues. And I was also having issues with like, maybe perhaps my own mistaken idea that by writing queer books, they are inherently leftist and liberal, which is not true. So that was like a assumption. The idea of queer being political to me in a specific way, I put on other people. Mm-hmm. That's part of it too. If you go back and investigate the beef. And then at the end of our private conversation, I had I had suggested we rehash a little bit of it on the podcast, but keep some of it private. But yeah, it was it was a, a very um emotional Zoom that she and I had in September. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for yeah. for talking about it on here. So that's coming up. And then later in the episode, we're going to be talking about big life changes. Allison has an announcement. Well, it's more just how good things can also <laughs> feel overwhelming. Um, <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. So you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! LJ, California. Cool name. I know, right? So LJ, she, her, says, Hi, Allison and Gabby. First, I want to say I've been a fan since I was in high school. I'm now 25, and it's been cool to see you guys grow and see the parallels in my own life. Your show has been especially helpful as I've grown. So even if you don't get to this question, I'm really grateful for what you two do. So nice. My roommate and I, both bisexual women, have been living together since the start of the pandemic and have become very close friends. I developed a crush on her very early on, but kept it to myself as I saw no benefit in possibly disrupting our friendship and our living situation. As of this week, she is officially casually exclusively dating someone, he, him. Wow. Leading up to this, she was struggling with whether or not to continue dating him for her own personal reasons. And the whole time, I tried to be a good friend and give objective advice slash encouragement. But now that it's official, I'm distraught. I have no idea it would feel this shitty. Even though I'm trying to hide it, she can tell something is up. I have generalized anxiety disorder and know myself well enough to know I need space from her and her relationship. But it's challenging because she wants to tell me about their dates and sex life. Due to both the pandemic and the struggle to find time to hang out with other busy friends, it's hard for me to avoid her by getting out of the house. Part of me wants to be honest and tell her, I like you, I'll get over it. But in the meantime, I don't want to hang out with your boyfriend for my own mental health. I don't feel comfortable lying to her about my reasons for needing space. On the other hand, I feel like it would be selfish of me because she might feel guilty for talking about her partner or bringing him to our place. She's already trying to make plans for the three of us to hang out, and I don't know how I'm going to repeatedly dodge that without her catching on and feeling hurt. Not to mention the obvious question of whether or not me telling the truth will ruin our friendship. My question is, how can I give myself the proper space to heal without making my roommate slash close friend uncomfortable? Similarly, is it fair for me to potentially make her uncomfortable for the sake of my own mental health? How do I prevent my boundaries from interfering with her life? Thanks so much, LJ. P.S. Moving out is not an option until the lease is up next summer. I can't afford to. Wow, drama. (laughs) Juicy. I think you got to tell her. I think what you said, the the exact quote that you said, which is that you, I like you, I'll get over it. But in the meantime, I don't want to hang out with your boyfriend for my own mental health. I think you got to tell her. And I think that's almost exactly how you should word it. Yeah, I mean, it touches on such an interesting thing, right? Of like this thing I think a lot of us deal with of like, is it okay for me to bring my problems into other people's lives? And feeling like we shouldn't or we can't or that's unfair and therefore we should like burden ourselves with it in silence. Oof. And it's hard. It's like it's and, and but I think that, you know, there's so many different ways to go about sharing your problem. And I think that that is really important. And like it's not just like here it is. I'm putting it on you. Good luck. You know, like there are ways to do it in more thoughtful ways, like you stated. And I think really making it clear what your goal is. Do you know that your goal is not for her to dump her boyfriend and fall in love with you, but that your goal is to give yourself some time and space to adjust to this new reality. And unfortunately, you wish you didn't need that time and space, but you're checked in enough with yourself to realize that you do. And 
you wanted to let her know so that it didn't just seem like you were blowing them off. Yeah, that you are planning to heal and you're planning to try to get over it and you're not planning to make an attempt to steal her or, you know, there's no personal, you know, ulterior motive. Because I can see a situation where she would start feeling hurt. Like, why don't you want to be my friend anymore? Why do you not like me? Do you not, you know, and like to avoid all of that sort of, sitcom confusion or like rom-com confusion, I think you do have to be like, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it is hard to be so vulnerable and just say the sentence of the thing that is going on. Like even when like I'm in a fight with my partner and they're like, why are you upset? And I want to be like, but I have to be like, I am upset because I two days ago read an article that's, you know what I mean? Like you have to be like so stupidly honest or like I saw, uh, I I broke a piece of my bike and I now I'm acting like, you know, whatever. So like, I think you have to say exactly what's going on. So she doesn't start speculating. Is this, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Is this, you know, and, and I, it's gonna suck because you wanna be able to talk to your best friend about your relationship. You wanna be able to be like, my boyfriend, did this whatever but you also as Allison said it's not uh like martyrdom or like good for you to be like I'll just swallow this and be a good person and like not say anything you know that's gonna end up exploding yeah and I and I think just like an acceptance that life is messy right that like Mm -hmm. yes in an ideal world this wouldn't be an issue but oh wait it is so now how do we deal with this responsibly how do we look out for both yourself and your friends feelings And that will probably cause some inherent discomfort. But you really don't know how she's going to respond. I mean, maybe she's had a similar experience with a friend and she'll totally understand. Or maybe she'll just be empathetic enough to just totally understand where you're coming from. Maybe she'll react poorly. We just don't know. And I think we get really caught up in anticipating people's responses instead of just letting them respond and then reacting accordingly. Yeah, and she might be disappointed if she's already making plans for you guys to all hang out. But I think you can say, you know, that might be on the table down the line, but it's not on the table right now. I also have to imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, but if you've been harboring feelings for somebody, you haven't told them, and it's this big thing, and you haven't told them, and it's bubbling up, and it's this huge thing. Once you tell them, I think I think that will be a transitional moment. You know, like it loses its power. Yeah, like I'm not saying you won't, you'll immediately not have feelings for them anymore or that you'll like completely get over it. But I think that it won't hold this weight over you. And I think that like this acknowledgement that like sometimes in our friendships, some people are more willing to pursue romantic relationships and some people aren't. And that's totally fine. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not this huge make or break deal. It's more like we're adults. Hey, I'm interested in you in this way. Oh, I prefer us to just be friends. Okay. (laughs) You know, Yeah, that's been huge for me in my 30s. Huge. That's been so huge for me. Like even yesterday, I was like reconnecting with a friend and I, which we had matched on a dating app. And then we're like, oh, hey, and we were reconnecting. And I was and he was like, you should come hang out. And I was like, oh, is this a date? And he was like, no. And I was like, great. (laughs) I'm so glad I asked that up top because what if I had like gone to his house and then been like spiraling about it? Now I'm just like, cool, we're done. Like now we're friends again. Amazing. Right. And so like it just immediately like dissipated the power. Done. And it's not going to be overnight, but I I really wonder how you're going to feel a week or two out from having had that tough conversation. I think that like right right now it's probably all you think about it. It's so consuming. But once Mm -hmm. you have the conversation, I think you'll be able to move into like the next phase of of your friendship and you'll also not have to hang out with this guy right away. (laughs) 
Yes. There's nothing noble about suffering in this capacity. I think sometimes people are like, I'm going to be noble and be a good person to my friend. It's like, there's nothing noble about it. Like you're, you're making this more dramatic than it needs to be. Honestly. I mean, look, I think there's some things that it, it, it is not beneficial to the other person to share. Well, yeah, don't be like, I'm in love with you on your wedding day. Right. But like, do you know what I mean? That's actually, you know, what I was thinking about. But like, I, yeah. I, I don't think that that counts as one of these things. I think it is. I think if, yeah. especially within the framing of I'm not expecting anything from you in return. Uh-huh. I'm just sharing how I'm feeling. I think that 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 is worth it. And your friend deserves to know that versus like what Gabby was saying, feeling feeling this rejection from you and not understanding the source. Yeah, that would be so sad. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe she'll be like, no problem. Let's just keep hanging out the two of us until you get more adjusted to it. Or maybe they'll break up in a week. Who the fuck knows? (laughs) (laughs) But don't run into someone's wedding and say, I'm in love with you. Unless you really mean it. Even then, I'm joking. You should have done it I'm years <laughs> <laughs> Our producer, Melissa, is laughing. <laughs> well, hopefully that helps. Please keep us updated on how the conversation goes. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com, baby. Stick around after the break. We have a very juicy discussion with our highly esteemed guest, Becky Alvertelli. Stay tuned. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself, but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before. So I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Hi everyone, Allison here. 
Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment. And she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best it is right up my alley and I love it so much so if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for five dollars with code pedals that's five dollars off with code pedals i cannot recommend this enough Back to just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Becky Albertalli, who is the award-winning author of Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, now a major motion picture, Love Simon, and her other works include The Upside of Unrequited, Leah on the Offbeat, and What If It's Us in collaboration with Adam Silvera, who is a common collaborator. Hello, Becky. Hi. Thank you all so much for having me. So we're going to get into all of your books and everything and also um, about YA stuff in general. But uh, first of all, the beef is squashed. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> we had talked about having you on one of my podcasts because we had sort of like a, a Twitter beef completely started by me. And then it ended up becoming this thing that ran away from both of us. And then to me, the big like general takeaway was your overture to email and want to speak to me privately and want to talk to me. And then the almost unheard of in terms of Twitter beef or online beef situation where we spoke privately and saw each other as human beings. So I had read some YA and I was feeling bitter and I had like had had bitter feelings in the past about people who I felt had come out too too late in the game in terms of their careers. And then I just, I didn't know anything about. And I just went off on Twitter because low impulse control and like, and like I think a bitterness that exists in the queer community between people who feel that they've been out and so have, you know, suffered consequences in their careers of being out versus people who came out later. Becky wrote the book that the film came out, it was Love, Simon, and then dealt with just a shitload of 
criticism, right, on your end? Yeah, well, I think, like, it can be a little bit tricky to talk about because, right, you know, some of it was good faith book criticism, which I firmly believe is always okay. Not, not just okay, but, like, you know, an important part of the publishing ecosystem. And a lot of it for years and years and years was, you know, something a little bit different than that. And, um, you know, I really do believe that not everybody who was involved in the discourse was doing so in bad faith. Like they were just the, it was just like a cultural norm in publishing, in queer publishing in particular, over the last couple of years to be kind of asking certain questions. Um, so some of it was just that. And then some of it was like, as you know, as discourse always does, like it starts, you know, crossing boundaries and crossing lines and it, it you know, starts picking up numbers sometimes. And so like, I mean, the gist of it was that like, you know, I'd been getting harassed, you know, since my book came out in 2015, not too badly or anything though back then, but um, in 2018, when the film came out, it got really, really bad. And then it sort of kept going, but kind of died down. And I was kind of trying to like step back a little bit. I was putting out a bunch of MF, you know, not like overtly queer YA love stories in a row. And then um, Love Victor came out in 2020 and everything kind of picked back up again, basically. Where it was mostly people saying a straight woman shouldn't write queer stories. And then it kind of dovetails into then even if this person is is queer, then she shouldn't be writing about men. Right. It kind of like has this weird twofold thing that I see come up a lot. But the initial one was like the assumption that you were straight, basically. Yeah. Well, to be clear, too, I had said I was straight. So it it wasn't Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it an assumption. I had really, I mean, I was very much a true believer in the beginning of just this idea that I owed a certain amount of disclosure. I like, I had to disclose my positionality. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of why I was like all over the internet saying I was straight. I felt like that was really important um, that people had a right to know that. I forgot about that. I forgot that you were going around saying you were straight. Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't like going around like, not like in a like no homo kind of way, but just like people, when people asked me, I would, I would speak about that. Which you genuinely believe. Yes. By 2018, yes and no. But in the very beginning, yes. You know, what I actually think was more harmful than, um, than just the like, I, you know, like if somebody's like, I don't think straight women should be writing books about gay men. I'm like, Okay, you know, like, absolutely. Like, I think that's a valid mm-hmm. opinion. I would have, never in a million years would I dream of being annoyed that somebody didn't pick up my book, didn't put me on a list of like, I'm like, really looking forward to these queer books, or, you know, just these are the ones I want to highlight. Like, it is more the discourse that was like, oh, it's so obvious that she's straight. You can tell, here's how you can tell a queer woman would never, and I cannot emphasize how common that was like that was like mm-hmm. um just and sometimes with this like mocking kind of tone and then sometimes just the usual kill yourself like sure a quick jump from literary criticism to a, a straight woman <laughs> definitely wrote this to kill yourself just a straight line of twitter discourse i know but y'all totally i mean y'all are on the internet enough that i'm like sure you're oh, we not know. at all surprised <laughs> and like i'm sure you've experienced mm-hmm. it and yeah then just to give some more context so then you ended up actually 
coming out, right, as, I believe, bisexual? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, so this was in, like, the end of August of 2020. You know, at the time I was 37, you know, I'm married to a man and I have uh, two kids, you know, and I did the whole, I live in Georgia. I don't know. I, like, I'm uh, close with my family. My family are Democrats, like, Jews, you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this, this context probably matters in trying to explain kind of some of the ways that my experience was softened. My worst family reaction was like, my dad, I knew he was going to say something awkward. I knew it. I was dreading that conversation. It was going to be awkward. He made it through the whole thing without being awkward. And I was like, Dad, that was great. Um, and then he was like, well, just make sure you tell Brian, my husband, how much you appreciate him. Because not every guy would be cool with it. I'm like, bye, Dad. <laughs> like, we're done. We're done. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Yep, and, like, and goodbye. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's the whole thing. I came out to my parents and my siblings. You know, I reached out to a bunch of my close friends mm -hmm. because I knew that once I came out publicly like just because of the nature of like my situation and Simon and the you know the discourse I, I knew that like once that got out there it wasn't like oh yeah I'm kind of quietly out on Twitter or something like that like you know that ship had sailed and that's something I knew to expect and so that it was going to be another big topic yeah I went on my tirade probably in September I had no concept that Becky had come out in August I thought that this had all happened in 2018 or something and my problem wasn't even particularly with Becky. My problem was with like a slew of writers that I felt like had achieved their success while identifying as straight and then got to come out later. Whereas I had a lot of bitterness about having been out my entire career, which is a choice that I made. There was also a lot going on for me gender wise that I hadn't really unpacked where I was like resentful of like people who where it's always the grass is greener. I was resentful of people who could go through normal society and be, you know, seen as married to a man and straight. And like, you know, I was like resentful of the attention put on me by perhaps going into my life, becoming more gender nonconforming. But then, of course, like when Becky and I talked, it was like a total grass is greener where she was like, well, I felt rejected by the queer community. And neither of us understood the power that the other person had. So I remember that too. We both thought the other person um, was like untouchably famous, I think. <laughs> yeah. I had experienced in regards to publishing, I had experienced backlash from within people who had been interested in publishing my work because they thought that Becky had a lot of power in publishing. And Becky was saying to me, like in our conversation, well, you're like the queer. So like if you say that I'm not queer enough, all the other people who are the tastemakers of queerness are going to reject me too. It had not occurred to either of us. Yeah. And I want to be clear too, like nowhere had I ever seen Gabby say anything like that. Like, you know, a lot of it is just is like my own baggage around it. So I in the one who put that on them, but that feeling was was real in there. Um, but it's not your fault that I felt that way. <laughs> I thought you were the person with the power and you thought I was the person with the power. And that was just like a complete misunderstanding of who the other person was, of like what the other person was about. Also like me completely misdirecting what I was upset about 
I think it was like the expectation that I need to become more palatable in order to sell things. And like friends of mine who I think are pushed out because their work, I think, is a little bit grungier. But like on the assumption that that what that both can exist, like, I don't know, it's really just was like jealousy and trying to put it with queer criticism and then being confused. I often remain confused. Like I'm very deep into watching Dickinson right now. (laughs) And Ella Hunt, who plays Sue, was similarly like people were like, look, I love you. But like, are you queer? Like, what's the deal or whatever? And she came out as queer. But then nobody's really been on Haley Steinfeld for it. And I so I was always sort of curious about like, who gets the beef for being not being out and doing and writing queer characters or be, or be playing a queer character and who doesn't? Victoria Pedretti in um, Haunting House or whatever. And, you know, Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh in Killing Eve. They're lauded. Everyone loves them. Everyone thinks that they're amazing. They all identify as straight as far as I know. But then this girl like that plays one of the characters on Dickinson was like hounded. So it's confusing to me who is allowed to do this and who isn't. And it seems to be a constantly moving goalpost, right? Yeah. And I mean, I find it really, really confusing. You know, well, I feel very strongly that like, you know, this is not a call to action Twitter to hound Haley Steinfeld and, you know, like it was Sandra Oh and everything. No, but she's, she's doing amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, but it is, it's complicated. Sometimes it makes sense. Like I, I do very much understand kind of the protectiveness around trans roles and like cis mm-hmm. actors, for example. I think to me, at least like I can really see like how that creates, you know, real world danger. I think it gets more complicated when you're talking about, you know, cis queer identities, but, you know, th- there's just so much gray area. I think sometimes people will use me as, as a symbol of like, everybody should write everything. And I'm like, I haven't even like formulated my thoughts about that, but I know that like, you know, I value the stories that are told by people from those communities, you know, I think own voices. I, I know that hashtag has been kind of talked about a little more critically uh, lately, but you know, that's something that's important to me when I think about like, you know, just being mindful about amplifying like other people's work and stuff, but it is hard to navigate because it is hard to control that discourse once it gets out the gate, I guess, because, you know, you can, you know, have the best of intentions in terms of like, I personally am going to be very mindful about how I approach it. And this is going to be about who I amplify and not who I push out. But social media is a game of telephone and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah, it got really out of control where people started saying that I had outed you and that wasn't true. And then people had started like it really did become a game of telephone where like, oh, Gabby told my students that if they aren't out to their parents, they can't write queer stuff. And now Gabby wants my students to die. Like it was like it really went. Yeah, you were busy. You were calling a lot of students uh, to tell them I know, that. I was, I, <laughs> I was really busy uh, telling every girl on Tumblr that she should kill herself. I mean, like I and I had done none of that. And people were extrapolating a lot and being very angry at me. And to me, I I didn't feel I had said anything super controversial because everyone was like, you know, there's this line of like, well, queer art should be by queer people. But the thing that I made the mistake of saying was queer art should be made by out queer people. 
And then I had no knowledge of you beyond you saying you were straight on the internet. So I was like, oh, this is like about people who make a lot of money off their books, like Becky Albertalli. And then because I didn't know specifically that you were not actually an example of this, people were like, uh, you are terrible. Which, yes, like a lot of it is me running my mouth. I think I felt resentment over like the sort of mainstreaming of queer stories at the time by, I wondered how much your book was pushed because you were straight at the time. Does that make sense? Like that you were able to get away with what like a black out queer writer probably wouldn't be able to. That being said, like I'm constantly, is that a problem with you? I don't know. It's a problem with publishing in a lot of ways because I've heard, I've seen me and Allison have seen our own advances and I've seen them compared to literally like black queer female friends of mine and their advances are half what our advances are. So what machine was I raging against? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I think it's it's good for all of us to kind of like stop, check ourselves, figure out like kind of what our role is in this discourse, but also to like step back from it. You know, when when we look back on those couple of days, my take on like what was happening was, you know, there are a lot of people who felt a certain way about kind of my essay and the culture that kind of, you know, within publishing that kind of created some of these tensions for, um, and, and certainly to be clear, I am not the only author who had been in that situation. I wasn't the first. Right. I heard from about 100 people after I posted my essay who were in kind of situations similar to mine or had anxieties like that. It was the coming out essay. Yeah, my coming out essay. Um, it, it's so much easier, you know, if you can kind of highlight an example of, okay, well, this is what it looks like and this is wrong and this is what caused this and this is like kind of where my feelings about this are going to go. It's like you were actually the second person who got that, that treatment there was, you know, an intern for a publisher who had also not outed me, but was telephone. Had thoughts on it. Yeah. And telephone was this person had outed you. Yeah. Oh, this person had thoughts on it. And I think this person maybe had made a video before I came out, but I hadn't seen it. You know, I think it's a very human thing. I, you know, I do the same thing where it's so much easier to to be angry at a person who seems to be like emblematic of this just big nebulous painfully complex systemic problem you know or just mm -hmm. even community problem rather than to like unpack huh okay like let me think how have I talked about this stuff you know have I maybe I, I haven't read Becky's books but like when I reviewed this other person's book like did I go in on details about kind of this person's identity based on kind of my perception of their identity you know and that's like really that's right. hard to sit with like even after you know it's directly talked about and pointed out you know, like more people double down than not. Yeah. I need everybody to know too, like just what a big deal it is 
that Gabby was willing to have this conversation with me. That's very unusual. <laughs> like that's so unusual. Like that that to to be able to come into um, a conversation like that without being defensive. Like to actually just like talk it through like human beings and to like figure out what was going on. I think it's also really important that people know. I know you did not know that I had come out ten days earlier. You did not know that I had come out to my family. I think it was. A mistake probably to like go off without knowing that like in general best practices like if you're going to go off on somebody but like there's a difference between making a mistake like that and like maliciously targeting somebody like fully aware of the time frame and I want people to know that you did not know that and since people are determined to like kind of assume the worst assume bad faith as the person who was like on zoom with you when I said that and as the person who saw your face like when I said that like that is true like Gabby is sincere about that and and I think that's really important to keep in mind like it's just like this is why like you know again I have not seen anything but if I if I do see like people coming for you like I just I just I hope people know that like you're not acting in any way that that I approve of or or that protects me or anything like we have moved past that no I appreciate it what prompted you to reach out to Gabby on like a one-to-one level <laughs> so it was Yom Kippur and me being like <laughs> you know like it was just like mm-hmm. th- th- that just like felt in, like an important like transitional moment and so it was just like I was just, I've just been so like traumatized by all of it and to be clear not me too I was also super yeah. traumatized by it we're gonna take a quick break for ads but then we'll be right back with our guest You and I have both deleted Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, my assistant runs my Twitter, so I have, like, an updates, but, like... Oh. It made me a bad person. There was no reason for me to be yelling at, at, at strangers. There's no reason for it. It made, me, it made me not sit critically with my own literary criticism. It made me not think critically about who I was going after and who I was actually upset at. You know, there's other authors I have problems with. In my head, I was like, well, literary criticism is like a time-honored tradition. And Hemingway would say that Jane Austen was bullshit and stuff like that. But like, not on Twitter. (laughs) It's such a painful place too. And like, as I say, this is somebody who part of what why I came out was because it just became so painful to have everybody just being like obvious straight woman like Mm -hmm. it's not lost on me just like the gender stuff that was coming up about you like in retrospect I didn't know anything about your gender at the time no and then when I was getting hammered by people uh defending you and and in less so defending you and more so taking things very very personally there was a, a slew of oh, these two women are fighting. (laughs) And seeing myself named as a woman so many times in a row, like, and how upset I was about that was like, oh, you're not a woman. You're freaking out. Yeah. You reached out to me because of Yom Kippur. Like, we're all Jews here, right? Like, but I don't know if it's going to make sense to other people. Yom Kippur is um, the Day of Atonement. And basically, it's a day where you will go and kind of apologize and make amends and just sort of like start with a clean slate for the next year. So it makes sense thematically that you had had 
this beef on Twitter. And then then you reached out on a, on a personal level, which I think is, you know, something we don't do enough. <laughs> I know I was blown away. So was I. I, I was too. I, I was shocked. The idea that somebody would be open to having that conversation. And, and also, like, you didn't know if I was going to be like coming in to like yell at you or something like, I don't know, like it, it took courage. And it's just it's it's just not something we see a lot. In, in terms of how these things kind of move forward, you know? I was happy to. I was happy to. Well, you emailed me. And then honestly, in my head, I was like, I got hammered for this and Becky doesn't care. And then when you emailed me and were like, I've been thinking about this for a year, I was like, oh my God, like, so have I. So this all went down on Twitter in September of 2020. But then when did Becky reach out? September of 2021? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That wasn't clear to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone who runs their mouth and has a certain persona, I have had multiple beefs, I will say, in my life. And in one particular instance with our former BuzzFeed coworker, Quinta, I reached out and then it took a long time. And then she reached out and then we spoke privately and completely squashed the beef. And like, we are so good and chill with each other now and like friends. That took years. I mean, that took, I would say like three years for she and I to come to some sort of like where she on Twitter at the time posted a picture of the Bloods and the Crips holding hands. (laughs) But so a full year went by before Becky reached out. Yeah. And I, in my assumption was that was, I was shocked because I was like, this is never going to get resolved. Because you think of the other person as a cartoon villain. Yeah. It's like a little bit of the same mindset that goes into the initial like dragging too, where, yeah, that person is a cartoon villain and that person represents the entire oppressive system. You know, I I mean, I was massively traumatized by kind of my coming out experience. That does not mean that I was traumatized by Gabby Dunn the human being, the person, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but like there were times during that year when like, I, that's how I felt about it. Like it was just like, like, I couldn't even see your name. I couldn't even see like the name Gabby. No, me too. Oh, like, you know, it it was just like the most random little triggers and stuff. It would also be like, if anything good happened, they would write an article about me. And then the like last paragraph would be like done recently courted controversy with Becky Albertelli. And I'd be like, I can't even get a good article without referencing. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like that kind of thing. Similarly, like we were both whatever. I was so taken aback by like, your bravery to email me. And I don't even think you asked to talk. I think that was just like, if you wanted to talk, I am open to it, but I understand if you don't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, does not happen on Twitter. And then I was like, yeah, let's, fu- let's get on zoom. Let's fucking do this. I was so nervous. And then we were just both like, Hey, we're humans. We're both people. Everybody's crying. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like, I didn't know anything about you. You didn't know anything about me. And like, yeah, it was like something that I think should happen way more, especially with with people within the queer community who go after each other. I think about that conversation so much, too. It's it's also like I'm still an absolute mess because obviously I wouldn't have come out. This predated that particular blow up like by years, you know, there were years leading Mm -hmm. up to it. It has been really hard to feel good about like my place in the queer community or if I can even like consider myself queer enough for it or worthy of it. Mm -hmm. But it was maybe the single most healing 
thing. I'm like, I, I don't even know where I would pinpoint the beginning of the hard part because it was so fluid and questioning and figuring things out. I mean, that was like really, really powerful to just be able to like talk this stuff through and to feel like, you know, we weren't trying to pick a winner or like, you know, prove mm-hmm. anything to we each other. We had different opinions. Yeah. yeah. And, well, it's not even just different opinions, but like some of it's just straight up misunderstandings like mm-hmm. and things that like we didn't have any way of knowing were happening behind the scenes like just some of the like publishing stuff that you kind of explained to me and walked me through like it made so much more sense immediately why you would perceive me as having a ton of power and influence I didn't even know any Mm -hmm. of that had happened but yeah no I'd be intimidated by me too like yeah what Becky's referencing is when all of this went down I had Uh, two book deals with someone that I had worked with for a long time who I viewed as a friend, an editor. And in response to what had been going on on Twitter, I got like a form email from this person, like so cold. No, to my agent, not even to me. So cold being like, we're dropping you. And then in my head, which Becky had no idea about, but in my head, I was like, Becky Albertalli is so powerful that like she can kill my career. So see, she's the one with the power. Meanwhile, Becky, no idea that that was going on. And also no concept that anyone in publishing would cancel someone's book deal for being in opposition to her, which when we spoke privately, Becky was like aghast, was like, what? So I felt then extra resentful where I was like, see, the person who isn't palatable gets shut down in, in favor of this person who's like, you know, beloved or whatever, which just like fit my narrative. But like similarly to where I had no idea that Becky had been struggling with coming out and I had no idea that Becky had come out just recently and I had no idea that Becky was like so scared of approval from like queer people on the internet and that I had just like basically done her nightmare. She had no idea that like I viewed her as the most powerful person in publishing and who had ruined my career when neither of us had any idea this was going on. It's like, oh my God, like, I'm just like, it's, it's wild because like I cannot emphasize enough like how much of my day is spent. I like pick up poop like half my day is like cat poop and dog poop. Like I'm just like, I have that power. I'm like, let me put this poop down and process this, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I was so taken aback when you said, this is what made me cry a little bit was when you were like, you welcome every bisexual person who comes out. I've seen you be so welcoming to every bisexual person who comes out. Why not me? And I was like, (gasps) and I was like, oh my God, I, that is so correct. And I, I'm so sorry. And like, I think there's so much beef within YA and within queerness that could be squashed in this way. And I would hope that even among marginalized people, I mean, the way that Quinta and I worked it out was basically just like, hey, there doesn't need to be a Hollywood beef between like a hardworking black woman and like a trans non-binary, you know, like there's other people to be mad at. And so I think like refocusing and seeing each other as people, I hope this can be like an inspiration for that, for people listening. That's my hope too. I was just thinking about it, you know, seeing the opportunity, I mean, A, just to like hang out and be on this wonderful podcast. And as a side note, I am like three quarters of the way through your first collab. And it is 
so funny and so good. It is like, oh, wow. Thank you. I'm like, part of me is just like, oh, thank God we had that talk. So I didn't have to like feel weird things about that book because it is like so perfectly oh, up my alley. It is. I will give Allison credit on making both of those books happen. I love like everything about it. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm definitely Definitely going to read the sequel too, but I did want to fangirl a little bit. And that was one reason I was excited to come out. Again, direct that straight to Allison. <laughs> <laughs> but the other like piece of it is like, I don't think we have a lot of models as a community for like what that can look like to like get to the other side of some of these very painful, you know, social media misunderstandings and stuff. Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have this uh, Zoom call with Trump or something, you know, like, (laughs) yes, you know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, when it's people who were kind of coming at this in good faith, but from different perspectives. And there's a lot of missing information in the mix and a lot of, you know, amplification on social media, heightening every emotion involved. I hope this can be an example of of what it can look like to humanize that kind of discourse. Before we move on, I, I'm just so appreciative that you were both willing to to be this vulnerable and, and talk about some messy stuff. But Becky, I'm wondering for you, like after everything that you've been through and being in the public eye, both in good and bad ways, you know, what is your relationship to your career now in terms of who you are as both a, a private and, and public person? Like, I feel like I'm like recalibrating every day. I mean, at the time we were recording this, two days ago, I found out that, you know, my sequel with Adam Silvera, Here's to Us, hit number one on the New York Times list. Woo! Woo! Oh, thank you. <laughs> now, I promise I'm not bringing it up just like as I flex, but like as I, you know. No, we were going to promote it anyway. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, but as I like... When I found out, I was in the parking lot at Target and I sat in the car for 10 minutes just staring into space, feeling a lot of really complicated things because it is a career moment that like brings me right back to 2018. The first time I hit the New York Times list was for my third book, which was Leah on the Offbeat, which, you know, Simon versus has never hit, but it was right after Love, Simon came out and Leah on the Offbeat hit. And the day that they announced the list, there was discourse about me being straight. And by 2018, I was already kind of wondering about that. So it was horrible. It was a little bit right after I had left Twitter. You know, my heart has been in my throat ever since the list was announced. And I'm really sad because it should be unambiguously happy. I'm I'm proud of the book. And I, you know, Adam and I worked hard on it. And I feel relieved that so far it hasn't turned into some kind of discussion about like kind of my identity. But I guess like some of it has made me a little scared of announcements. (laughs) Like if there's a successful moment, like the good, the good stuff kind of has this aftertaste to it sometimes yeah and how holding both those things of like still letting yourself be really happy yeah but kind of maybe bracing for what might be to come that's out of your control yeah exactly this was amazing and and all I can say is would you like to play a game show um absolutely (laughs) and thank you (laughs) okay so this game is called hypotheticals you and Gabby are my cutthroat contestants right after healing this divide between the two of you. I will now be pitting you against each other. (laughs) Uh, 
I'm basically going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you will give me your answer, and I just decide who I like better today, uh, moment to moment. No real rules. <laughs> just like Twitter. It's just like Twitter. I know. Maybe like Pink News can report on the beast yeah, as well. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Girl, I got a lot of news alerts about it. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You are at a New Year's Eve party with your partner of seven years. As the countdown to midnight begins, you find yourself pooping up a storm in the bathroom and your partner ends up kissing another party goer with tongue. Because they were worried if they didn't kiss someone, it would be a year of bad luck. Would you stay with this cheater? I cannot imagine a scenario in which I would stay with this cheater. Also, my like COVID brain is is horrified. I'm like, there's no COVID in this hypothetical. I was like a New Year's Eve party. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Let's say this is like this happened in 2018 when we were all so beautifully young. (laughs) And I have to ask, if I'm sick and pooping up a storm, Mm -hmm. why is my partner back at the party? That's a great question. Something you really have to grapple with. Seems rude. You had told them to go enjoy themselves, but you didn't think (laughs) they... Unless I've sent them away being like, do not witness my illness. (laughs) Yeah, you told them to go enjoy themselves, but you didn't think that they would go kiss somebody else so that they could get a year of good luck. What about me? I don't get a year of good luck. Exactly. Wow complicated. Thank you. I feel like I not only would break up with them, but I might lock them in that that bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And then we could see how lucky they think their year is. Maybe they'll be locked in there all year. That'll show you. (laughs) I like that answer. That's the correct answer. (laughs) Wow. Okay, our next game. Is this a date? In this world, there is COVID. You mentioned at an outdoor get-together that you haven't had a chance to get your booster shot yet and are worried that you will be down and out for a few days afterwards. Someone else at the party, an acquaintance you have met a few times, suggests getting your booster shots at the same time and then stay with each other so you can take care of one another if either of you has side effects. Is this a date? (laughs) Oh, the bar is so low for romance during COVID (laughs) Would you consider that a date? I mean, as somebody who has like a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, I'm kind of like, if if the kids are not there, it it kind of is a date. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm I'm so starved for dates, please. Wow. I feel like this is something that has probably actually happened. And those people are probably engaged right now. Because I feel like everything moves either. You know what I mean? Like they're they're like, wow, we went through this tough thing together. Let's stick it out. Ha, get it? A pun. Stick it it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a date. And I think they're in love. And they're boosted. And they're boosted. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful love story. Okay, our final game. Are you a terrible parent? This one gets me a little bit. Okay, I'm pretty proud of this one. Okay. Oh my God. Your child eight, is too afraid to sleep over at their friend's house, but got invited to a big birthday sleepover party. They don't want everyone to know they are too afraid to sleep over. So you come up with a plan that they will go and pretend they're going to stay the night 
only for you to call with a fake emergency right around bedtime and go pick them up. This all works, except that the fake emergency is that their grandmother is sick and you had to go visit her and all of their friends make a get better soon grandma card the morning of the sleepover. And now your child is involved in an elaborate lie because their grandma is fine. Are you a terrible parent? I, oh my gosh. (laughs) I've never done this, but I could kind of see this happening. Um, I think you can kind of in that scenario, just say like, yeah, grandma got better. um, And you kids were so kind and thoughtful to make this card. And grandma really appreciated it. And now let's just move on. And let's like, grandma doesn't like to mention it really, because it just (laughs) reminds her of the time when she was sick. So we won't talk about it anymore. Maybe I would say, oh, no, you guys, it wasn't she wasn't that sick. She just had like, you know, oh, thank you for the get well soon card. But, you know, she just was pooping in a bathroom on New Year's Eve and she wasn't even that sick. So (laughs) and now she's divorced because grandpa kissed someone else. (laughs) Full circle, baby. Full circle. (laughs) Becky, thank you so much for joining us. I know we mentioned some of your amazing books, but is there anything you wanted to promote in particular or where to, where to find more info about you now that you're off Twitter? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for social media, Instagram is the one that I run myself. So it's just Becky Albertalli, at Becky Albertalli, my name on Instagram. It's definitely the best place to follow me for updates. And um, yeah, my new book is Here's to Us, which uh, is written in collaboration with Adam Silvera. It is the sequel to What If It's Us, which came out in 2018. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys. Stick around. After the break, we'll be talking all about big life changes. Wah, wah, wee, wah. us it's time for topics x x x x x x x baby baby wah wah wee wah 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 wee wah am i right or am i right (laughs) okay so this topic is big life changes because allison has an announcement yeah i mean i i haven't yeah i feel so uncomfortable anyway uh, i'm moving in with (laughs) my boyfriend (laughs) you're moving he's moving into the condo well, so that's another big life change. <gasps> yeah. So we may or may not also be look. We're looking for houses as well. <gasps> so it is a lot of things happening. You're going to buy a house. Well, I want to be upfront about the generational wealth that I am afforded and that my father will sure. be helping us buy the house. So th- I don't want at this sure. all to be like, oh, I can afford a house in L.A. by myself. I cannot. <laughs> But my dad is being yeah. incredibly generous and basically will be putting in like a big down payment and then we would take mm-hmm. on the remaining mortgage as a team, me and little boy Johnny. Ah, <laughs> which, Johnny, Johnny, which is Johnny. How, how I exclusively refer to him. <laughs> 
Johnny, Johnny, yes, Papa. For anyone who has children and knows that song. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Um, what is the timeline you think? We've already made an offer on a house that didn't work out. We we're about Are to make an offer on me? another house. Yeah, it's been wild. Basically, what happened is we saw my parents over the holidays and told them that we were moving in. And my dad was like, That's great. And then went on Zillow. <laughs> Because basically my parents own where I live now. They own a condo, the condo I live in. And like, it's a really great time to sell. The interest rates are really low. And so my dad really wants to sell the condo now. Got it. And so it, this has all been incredibly expedited based on wow. on financial reasons and the market wow. and whatever. So that's been this whole thing, right? Of like having this like massive thing happening, not necessarily because John and I are like, and now we are ready for a house, but more like this mm-hmm. makes the most sense to get the house now, if that makes sense. And, and sort of like, mm-hmm. it's very funny because <laughs> we were kind of in a position where like I was ready to move in, but John wasn't ready just yet Mm -hmm. and so for a variety of reasons that make perfect sense when we had the initial conversation he posed it as like in January this was in December he was like in January I think we can start to have a conversation about us moving in together Mm -hmm. cut to a few weeks later we've already made offer on offers on houses (laughs) it's happening immediately and he was like yep this is the Raskin pace (laughs) things yeah Oh my God. You know, it's so interesting because I think sometimes things are taken out of your hands. Like Mal and I moving in together happened right away, mostly because of the pandemic. I mean, not right Mm -hmm. away, but like we moved in together because they drove across the country after four months of not seeing each other to live with me in LA. Like, and it wasn't like, oh, now you're going to get your own place in LA. It's a goddamn pandemic. We're living together. And then we like got the cabin in where our cabin is because we want to be close to Mal's family because Mal has a niece that was born while we were together. And like, and I wanted to own a house. I had always talked about wanting to own a house either alone or with a partner and as a big financial accomplishment to myself. And so like that all happened in a way that you know life comes at you like you can't you yeah. can plan and plan and plan but life comes at you and you gotta just you gotta just keep moving forward man like a shark and it's like you know on a day-to-day level I'm like oh I see this person all day long we have a wonderful relationship right. this makes we're in our we're in our almost mid-30s like this all makes a lot of sense and then on the other hand I'm like I didn't know this person one year ago today <laughs> you know I know um, but that, and that's like how it was <laughs> I knew Mal for years before but as a friend and then like literally for like the first year I was like we're dating like that's ridiculous but I think like when you know you've kind of always said this when when we were giving advice on the couch 40 years ago you said oh you know when someone rushes into something and they're 21 I'm like okay I don't know but when someone's like quote unquote rushing into something but they're already know themselves they're in their 30s and 40s and they've like spent time you know getting to know what they want out of life that the idea of rushing takes on a totally different meaning yeah and I think I'm realizing that like in my body and in my heart I don't feel like I'm rushing I don't feel like I don't know him enough to do this or that like we're not ready I'm just like obsessing about how it appears to other people and uh, like that's always a bad sign right when I'm just like what will people think like you know this time last year I was mourning my broken engagement now I'm moving into a house with a different person. But like, who gives a shit? That's like, I kept living my life. (laughs) Yeah, good for you. What do you mean? Yeah. 
that that's um, called better. What are you supposed to do? Wear black and be in mourning for the next five years? Like whatever. <laughs> but it's a lot, you know, and even just like I now have a second dog that like that's a huge mm-hmm. life change that like mm-hmm. started as a foster dog and then it was became John's dog. But then now it's really our dog because we're moving, you know, and like the reality is this mm-hmm. is my dog. And that's a huge life change too. that like mm-hmm. Phantom's energy is very different than Sugar's energy. So it's like I went from having a dog cat to like having a puppy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, that experience of us not overthinking adopting Phantom, of us just like falling in love with him and John actually being the one to really push for us to adopt him is sort of like how I'm like approaching this whole house thing too, where I'm like, if I overthink the house, I will stress myself out and it will become a problem. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just like, oh, I'm living my life, I this could be nice. Let's see what happens. Here we go. Bump mm-hmm. and a boop boop. Then I'll be in a house with my mm-hmm. partner and my two dogs and I'll be so happy. So <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like I say, like inertia is a choice. Like you not doing anything is one way you could live your life, but also move, making choices and moving forward. That's life. You got to keep doing stuff like that's just how it goes. And so that's great. I'm happy for you. I, I hope you get this new one that you put, you know, that that's the whole thing with the housing market is you can't get too attached to one house because it's a nightmare to try to buy something now. Yeah. And so we're on that roller coaster. Literally, the first house we put the offer on, we should have gotten, but the agent messed up and it went to this other couple by like sheer messing up on the agent's part. Uh, <laughs> um, uh. And so, you know, it's it also just like giving myself the peace of like, this could take one week. This could take six months. I just have to be okay with that. Mal and I saw our place in May and we didn't get it till September. Yeah. I mean, just knowing that this big change is coming, but not knowing when is like kind of weird. And then on top of everything, I mean, we could get to this more than another thing, but like, I'm pretty sure I need major knee surgery sooner than later. Oh, no. Yeah. I had another subluxation on Tuesday, which is basically a partial dislocation. So like my kneecap leaves where it should be and then goes back in on its own. And I'm already better. Like it's only been a couple days and I'm I'm really only down for the count for like a day or two. But the experience itself is disgusting and painful. And I'm afraid every moment of every day I'm about to collapse. And so also like this other huge thing of like, I probably need knee surgery on top of everything else Uh, that's going on. And oh my God. And like, I have to write a new book and I'm in graduate school Mm -hmm. and I have all this other stuff I've got to do. And and just being like, it will happen. <laughs> I will. We will yeah, find a house. You got to keep moving forward. All the things are happening. We will be moving in together. I will also be getting knee surgery. Do I know when? No. Do I know when we'll find a house? No. But I know what I know is that like I have found a, a wonderful partner. I have a two wonderful doggos, one of whom is biting my foot right now. I think we can guess who. And also like these things will resolve themselves. And I just have to be open to these changes. You know, when when I first dislocated my knee in February, my reaction was I don't want to get surgery. Like, oh, my God, I don't want to get surgery. But now having like lived with the fear of it happening again for almost a year and also having had two subluxations since then, I'm like, I want to get surgery. Yeah. I want to resolve this. Yeah. I want peace of mind. Even just that, like how much I've changed in my my approach to that in a year is like so interesting and, and welcoming. And like this will be a tough big change to get surgery, but also like a welcome change once I get through the hard part. And I think that's like yeah. such a metaphor for all of these big changes mm. is that like in the actual moments of the change and the lead up to the change and maybe the direct aftermath, it's like so overwhelming and scary. But then you have to like think about once you get over that hump, 
and how that will be like so worth it. Yeah, it's I'm lucky to have the problems I have. I think about that all the time. Yeah, I'm lucky for the problems I have. Some of them, no, but some definitely. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So like to complain about, I mean, God, thinking back to me in New York with literally $50 in my pocket trying to figure out how to live to me now being like, oh, the bathroom reno. Who the fuck am I? Who am I? Yeah, but, you know, as we change, so do our problems. And like, we just, you know, we're not going to react to things the same way. I have to keep perspective because if I become someone who's like, I'm stressed about the bathroom reno, like I can't, like I have to keep my brain and my perspective like so back in the gratefulness of like 10 years ago, you were not sure where you were going to like sleep. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like fucking yeah. keep that gratitude. So that's what I've been trying to do in any change. Yeah. Here's to more <sighs> good big changes and also a successful bathroom reno for you, Gabby. <laughs> I hope your knee surgery goes well. Welcome to Just Between Us in our 30s, baby. <laughs> you recall meeting us when we were in our 20s and we were cool. Now we're in our 30s and this is what we talk about. One advantage I have is I was never cool. So. That's true. I, yeah. I, <laughs> it's been an easier transition for me. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Melissa, want to come on in and share your thoughts? Well, as someone who has always been cool. um, Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I used to like rail cocaine all over New York City. And now and now I stood up from my couch wrong and I couldn't move my shoulder for three days. Time is not kind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Life changes are interesting. I was just thinking that I didn't really have like a big life change happen to me recently. But then I remembered that I recently. You got a house. Oh, that feels like so long ago at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about more of like, I realized a few weeks ago that I kind of like lost touch with who I am mentally. And so I am now back in therapy with a therapist we've actually had on this show. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. That's so exciting. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's great. That's so great. Nothing brings me more joy than hearing someone's back in therapy. <laughs> I'm such a, uh, such a weirdo. <laughs> no, that's your thing. I know. Like you're in school studying that. That's a, yeah. if you weren't excited, that would be. I guess that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. What did we rate this episode? 11 out of 10 all around. 11 out of 10 Ooh. everything. All the things. Ooh, Okay. Hard to compete with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it 20 out of 18 crushes on your roommate. Ooh, love it. Woof. Controversial. Okay. And I'll go with 13 out of seven squashed beefs. Squash it. Just a really descriptive term. Um. <laughs> will, I, will I probably have more beefs in the future? Yes. Will I squash them? Also, yes. And that's the Gabby Dunn guarantee. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much to Becky Albertalli for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Monts, edited by Coco Lorenz. 
Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up at Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus and check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at Gabby Road, and at She Is Not Melissa on Instagram. Bye! Bye! Forever! Yeah.